the start of every new year, many of us take stock of our lives and make resolutions on what we'd like to change for the better. Sometimes that simply means recommitting to things that we always valued, but may have forgotten in the rush of daily life and flurry of competing commitments. And though much has changed since our founding, our mission to bring high-quality cancer care close to home for our patients never has. It's because of that mission that we plan to change our name very soon. Cancer doesn't have a zip code. It affects people everywhere. And though we're proud of our roots in Green Bay, we now serve other communities as well. So it's time our name matched our mission. With that in mind, we thought we'd share this encore presentation of our mission while we're taking a break from production to celebrate and reflect with our loved ones this week. We hope you'll enjoy it and wish you and your loved ones a very happy new year. You're listening to Cancer Cover. One of the greatest meetings that I've ever been to is when they told me that the PDL1 inhibitors were completely replacing chemotherapy for lung cancer patients and giving incredibly better results. I mean, that was an absolute red letter day for me. You're listening to Cancer Covered with Green Bay Oncology, where we explore pressing cancer issues and look for ways healthcare professionals, patients, and their families can cope better together. I'm Dr. Mitch Winkler. I sat down with the founders of Green Bay Oncology, Drs. Paul Cope, Jerry Bayer, Skip McGovern, and Jules Blank, as well as Dr. Tony Jaslowski, who's currently in practice, to discuss how far cancer treatment has come from GBO's inception to now. Here's what they had to say. We have a panel here of retired medical oncologists uh, whose you know careers span 30 you know plus years, going all the way back uh, to 1976, and they're joined by a medical oncologist currently in practice. So we're going to do uh, an exercise here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to present all of you a thumbnail case description. And what I would like each of you to do, given that thumbnail case description, is write down a life expectancy that best represents what was typical for the majority of your career for a patient like that. And then I want Tony to do the same thing based on a life expectancy if you met the patient tomorrow in clinic. And then hold on to that, and then I'll go around the room one by one and and ask for your answers. Everybody got it? Okay. Metastatic pancreatic cancer. Okay. Paul, life expectancy? Uh, Three to six months. Jerry? Three to six months. Skip? Three months. Under six months. 18 to 24 months. All right. Here's the next one. Metastatic melanoma. Jerry? Less than six months. Paul? Definitely less than six months. Skip? Three months, plus or minus. Jules? Four to six months. Tony? Two to five years. This should be a fun one. Acute promyelocytic leukemia. Paul? Weeks. Jerry? On this one, it, it kind of depended on... There were some that were cured, but the ones that weren't, it was short, maybe only a month. Skip? I'm going to guess average about two years, maybe. Jules. I happened to be practicing when we started getting arsenic, mm-hmm. etc. And now the cure rate's over 90%, if I'm not mistaken. Tony? Correct, over 90%. Yeah. Yep. 
you know, not far off a normal lifespan. Rough couple of months, but chemotherapy free. Chemo arsenic, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Atra. And in fact, there are a few baseball players right now who have it, and, and also the uh, previous coach of Indianapolis Colts is probably three years out. I don't know mm -hmm. how long. Clarification for this one, because this next one will span uh, a fair bit. Let's confine your estimates to the first half of your career on uh, life expectancy, you know. Uh, okay. Chronic myelogenous leukemia. Paul. I can't remember back that far. <laughs> <laughs> As I recall, they could live over a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Two to three years. Three years. Before they had the new generations of drugs, I think it was 40 months. Tony? Now it's cured, basically. Yeah. I mean, with the oral drugs. And what's amazing is sometimes you can actually withdraw the drug. And I have a few of those people where you can take them off and they stay in remission. All right. Glioblastoma multiforming. Paul? Again, that was always a miserable disease, six months at a maximum, although I had one patient that lived uh, five years, but it was nothing because th that I did that caused that. Jerry? Four to six months. I think it's very age-dependent. I think younger people do much better than older people by far, but certainly for older patients, probably six months would be the rule of thumb. Ditto. Tony? Unfortunately, not much better, 12 to 18 months at best. Probably even go shorter, but it, that one hasn't changed much. All right. Metastatic renal cell carcinoma. Paul? Uh, six to 12 months. Jerry? Six months. Skip? Six months. Jules? Six months. Tony? Two to four years now. Metastatic non-small cell lung cancer. Paul? Again, that was about a three to six month uh, lifespan. Jerry? I think here it depended more on the stage. If it was early stage, they lived much longer. If they were advances, are you talking about it? Stage four. Stage four. Oh, um, I'd say three to four months. All dead in a year. Jules? Four-ish months. Tony? And again, you almost have to break down to the subcategories. If you have a molecular mutation, EGFR, you can go on two to four years. I have a gentleman with an ALK mutation, and he's going out seven years. PDL one strongly positive. I have some that have gone beyond five years now. So I would say on average, at least two to four years. K or S mutated, not too much different than their experience. But with the newer it's drugs, newer is it is better. beginning to change. Starting so, to. Yeah, right. I mean, it's changing all the time. Finally. It's amazing. Metastatic colorectal cancer. Paul? Six months. Jerry? I would say uh, six months, too. Yep. Six, six months. Jules? The first half of my career, six months. Tony? I would say at least two to four years. We'll do one more. Multiple myeloma. I would say about a year. Paul? Approximately that, yes. Skip? A year. Do you agree? Tony? Eight to ten years. Were there any drugs that you all were glad to see retired? I think nitrogen mustard. Yeah, I could, I could I always have said, you know, people... 50 years from now are not going to say, you put what in a patient's veins? I can't wait for that day. One of the greatest things that I've, meetings that I've ever been to is when they told me that the uh, PDL one inhibitors were completely replacing chemotherapy for lung cancer patients and giving incredibly better results. I mean, that was an absolute red letter day for me. No one should carry the burden of cancer alone. 
A cancer diagnosis can make you and your loved ones feel isolated and alone, just when you need support the most. I'm Addison Young. And I'm Tom Beckers. As social workers at Green Bay Oncology, we know that meaningful connection brings strength and healing. Sharing the experience in a safe space with others on a similar path is often powerful and therapeutic. That's why we offer a free monthly virtual cancer support group facilitated for you and your loved ones. Wherever you are on your cancer journey, you're always welcome. To join us, visit gboncology.com events. Later in our conversation, they spoke about how difficult nausea and pain could be for cancer patients in the early days and how much better things got when new supportive care drugs became available. For all of you, what were some of the most memorable developments in cancer medicine that occurred over the course of your careers? I'll start that one. Zofran. For those of our listeners who may not know what that drug is, that was the first effective anti-nausea drug that was given with, and it was an absolute game changer. I had a patient named Kathy. She was early 30s, breast cancer, adjuvant chemotherapy, had about three cycles in, was more to go, and Zofran came on the market and I gave it to her. The next day, she came, this was when we had the hall visits, she came into the clinic, walked down the hall, walked up to me, gave me a great big kiss, and said, thank you. I had pizza last night with my three boys. Prior to this, when I had chemotherapy, I went home and went to bed, and I was sick and miserable all night. Jerry, what about you? Well, uh, I would have to say that some of the things that were quite helpful were like, fentanyl patches and things to relieve pain because I can remember a patient who was in a nursing home was in such awful pain and I won't forget her. She had breast cancer, it was involving her spine and we really didn't have the pain medicines that, that we had later that we could give more effectively. So I thought being able to relieve pain with these type of new drugs was, was extremely important. My only comment about making house calls for uh, terminally ill housebound patients is that it was totally inadequate care. They deserved, they needed much better. When I came to Green Bay, hospice was provided in an inpatient setting at one of the local hospitals and they had approximately 12 beds. It was totally inadequate for the needs. Hospice moved to taking care of patients in an outpatient setting in their own home where a nurse, a social worker, a chaplain, caregivers to give bed baths and do things were available to these people. I mean, it was a game changer. It was actually care for them to receive. What was life like for cancer patients back in the early days? I think like Paul said, before hospice or skip, it was awful. The last few weeks and months of their lives were miserable. But now with our better palliative care, supportive care, that has definitely gotten better. What was treatment like for a cancer patient back in the early days? I think it was much more difficult because many of them developed um, you know, either infections, which are now better cared for. They developed nausea and vomiting, so they were sick. And other people saw around them they were sick, so that was detrimental not only to the patient but the family around them. We're seeing they've been go through, you know, going through this uh, treatment program. So I would think that would be what I would say. How many of them threw up when they were on treatment? 
in the early days. Well, some people actually, when they would get into Green Bay and see the sign, they're already getting nauseated. Uh, and by the time they, I had to see some people in the ER because they wouldn't come up to our office because they got so sick. So it was, you know, we were able to get around that with the newer drugs, but they got really sick. How many of them lost their hair? Was that universal? Darn near. That was one of the, you had asked a few minutes ago about the difficulty of being a cancer patient. When they had hair loss, especially for a woman, oh, yeah. it was a marker. I have something wrong with me. Stare at me. It was, it was terrible for those folks. And I'm hoping, although I don't have hands-on knowledge, that the current immune modulators don't have those visible side effects. Because the patients, you know, they had enough going on without everybody, uh, you know, recognizing it or, or everybody staring at them. It, it must have been terrible to be in their shoes. Uh, for today, I mean, Tony, it, it's really a minority of patients that have hair loss, right. even on chemotherapy. And I had a patient wear the cold cap during Hodgkin's treatment, and she retained her hair through all six cycles with the Dr. Rubison. So it was amazing, the cold cap being able to do that. And I mean, you know, there's still a, a fair bit of chemotherapy around. I'm right. still giving a fair bit of it. Tony's still giving a, right. a fair bit of it. Tony, how long has it been since a patient of yours vomited as a result of chemotherapy? I mean, I remember when I first started before Zofran on Dancitron came out. In fact, back in the early 90s, we did the on Dancitron trials. And you could tell who got placebo because the minute they got their platinum, they were vomiting violently. So you could tell right away. And I remember we never gave cisplatin as an outpatient. We admitted them all, even the doxorubicin. We were admitting them all. Now, I mean, you almost never give chemotherapy except for induction for leukemia as an inpatient. So it really is rare you ever hear vomiting or retching like you did years ago. So did cancer treatment often result in hospitalization early, like, like half the time, less than half the time, more than half the time? I agree with Tony that most of our patients were in the hospital for chemotherapy particularly with platinum drugs, they were all admitted for one or two days or three days, whatever the treatment was. So there were a lot of, lot of inpatient for it, yes. It probably had, I'm guessing, it probably had to be 90% of patients were hospitalized to receive chemo. And it may have been a 24-48 hour stay, but it was very common way back. Um, and again, I'm referencing 1984 when I started. How many got hospitalized because of side effects? Usually it's the nausea and vomiting. Um, infections were lesser, I don't know, 10% maybe. But nausea and vomiting had to be 50%, wow. I'm guessing. Yeah, it was quite striking. It's very unfortunate. And poor patients, they suffered through it. Thanks for joining us on Cancer Covered. Please let us know what you think by leaving a review. To learn more, read our blog, request an appointment, search available clinical trials, or even apply to become a member of the team, go to gboncology.com.